Good morning, everyone. Hope everyone's having a great Thursday so far. I want to take this beginning of the episode back to Monday night, the night after Elimination Chamber. Raw emanated from the Cajun Dome in Lafayette, Louisiana. There were a lot of things that were supposed to happen. Um, I wasn't planning on watching Raw. Uh, I was looking through my Twitter timeline and saw the announcement that they were bringing in Johnny Gargano, Tomasa Champa, Alistair Black, and Ricochet on for that night's Raw. So it got me curious, and I decided, you know what? I like all four guys. NXT is the shit. And I felt, let me see what they're going to bring to the table in terms of what they're going to do with all four of those guys on Monday. And they put on, all four of them, put on great performances. Ricochet being in a tag team match again with Finn Balor against Bobby Lashley and Leo Rush. Aleister Black um, defeating Elias. I didn't see that match, but I heard it was fucking amazing to see his performance. And Tommaso Ciampa and Johnny Gargano teamed up to reform DIY, if only for one night. And surprisingly, it wasn't only for one night. Because they were also involved in SmackDown Live against The Bar. And they put on a great showing against the Raw Tag Team Champions, The Revival. Um, I know this wasn't one of their best matches because, you know, with Raw... They kind of want to handcuff some things and keep the time down to do work on other sort of things because it's a three-hour program. But the reason I wanted to start this episode by talking about Raw is because of the crowd in Lafayette. After what I had saw for two hours, WWE should never go to Lafayette, Louisiana, ever Again. It is understandable that the performers in the ring are trying to put on a show for the fans. And from what I saw, there there were some really good moments. I mean, like I said, the NXT guys putting on a great performance. You know, Ruby Riot and Ronda Rousey actually got more time in this matchup. In their matchup that night, uh, that night. Sasha Banks and Bailey coming out for the first time as women's tag team champions. Triple H, of course, making the announcement of the NXT guys coming on tonight. On that night, I should say. But it seemed like the Lafayette crowd really didn't give a shit. That crowd was more dead and silent than a funeral. It literally is if... It was literally as if Raw was having a funeral that night for themselves. Even when Triple H made the announcement of the NXT guys being on the show tonight, the crowd hardly even popped for it. Not not that much of a pop. Sasha Banks and Bailey came out. They didn't even receive that much of a pop. Tommaso Ciampa, Johnny Gargano, Ricochet coming out. Aleister Black coming out. Hardly that much of a pop. 
And it seems seemed like they didn't even give a damn what was going on in the ring. How, after what most people would say was a decent show, and I'll get into all that and the good, the bad, and the ugly that was Elimination Chamber, how anyone can believe, you know, that this was going to be what we were going to get. You, I, I tweeted this out um, to Nick Nightmare, who is uh, the host of the Sledgehammer TV show on uh, YouTube, and definitely go uh, subscribe to him and follow him on Twitter. I said they could have had this in a Dallas, uh, San Antonio, even in El Paso, and the crowd would have been more amped to see all four guys and everything else that was going on that night. I understand that they go to different cities every single week. You know, small towns, all that. But my God, if you ever wanted to see a more quiet crowd, you could have went to Lafayette and you could have just been chilling. And you probably would have heard nothing. I, if I were a talent in WWE, I probably wouldn't say it out loud to any officials or anything like that. But after my match or anything, or if whatever I was doing that night, and I came out to that crowd, and then I finished my finished whatever I was doing, and I would go to the back, I wouldn't probably say this to anyone, but my first thought would be, damn. I'm putting in all this work to try to entertain the fans. And they just didn't give a damn about what I was even doing. They couldn't have given less of a fuck about what was going on inside that ring. Sure, there were a few, there were bits and pieces of the crowd that were that were popping for everyone. But on top of that, Ricochet didn't get his full entrance until Tuesday night when he went one on one against Eric Young. They, 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 I was surprised they even had somewhat of a pop for that. Tuesday night, SmackDown Live went to New Orleans. And just last year, they had TakeOver New Orleans. So the NXT, so the crowd knew what was up with NXT. They knew who these guys were. Lafayette just didn't give a damn about who they were. I understand that only a little bit over a million people are subscribed to the WWE Network. And that's fine. You know, fans may not want, may, can, may not afford, be able to afford the $9.99 per month. But when you go into certain cities, you kind of have to have an idea of, you know, do the fans know about X, Y, and Z, you know? And I was watching Joe Cronin's uh, post-Raw show 
And he was heated at the fact that these four guys, you know, the, the NXT guys came up to nothing. Lafayette. Now, the next four shows that Raw are going to have, where they're going to emanate, in this actual order, Atlanta, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, and Chicago. All smart, mostly smart crowds, especially Philly and Chicago. Atlanta, starting to get there in terms of the South. Pittsburgh, always a big fan base there for WWE. Why WWE had the cojones to just bring those guys out in front of a crowd that hardly knows who they are is beyond my train of thought. Knowing that your next four shows were going to be in big market cities. In front of crowds who know exactly who they are. Who would pop instantly upon an announcement of that magnitude. Because that's a really big announcement if you think about it. We're bringing up Tommaso Ciampa, Johnny Gargano, Ricochet, and Aleister Black. Atlanta, especially given the fact that it was... Rick, it's going to be Ric Flair's 70th birthday celebration on a night where there already is hype. Why not add more fucking hype than having the NXT guys involved that night on that episode? Why couldn't you just, I mean, I get it. I mean, you wanted to bring out these guys. You know, you wanted to get some ratings. I was reading reports from Ringside News that, you know, this is just a short-term thing right now. But it is a prelude to Gargano and Champa coming up. I have, I still have that feeling that Aleister Black definitely will be coming up after WrestleMania. But now you pretty much fucked yourself. They literally fucked themselves. They could have just went in Monday night with just a regular run-of-the-mill bullshit average show and then hit the ground running for Atlanta for the next four weeks. Because that four-week stretch is big on the road to WrestleMania. You know they're going to hit the big markets. You know crowds are going to be popping for it. You know crowds are going to be invested in what's going on when they're in those big market towns. Why do this to yourself? They shot themselves in the fucking foot. Shot themselves in the foot with this. And then when you look at SmackDown, New Orleans gave just pretty much pop for everything. You know, it's not every day you go to New Orleans and you see Ricochet and you see NXT guys coming up on a main roster show. It just doesn't really happen that often unless they're being called up. And to think about it, and and to think about it in, in this perspective too, if I want to go, I just want to go a little bit left. Think about the call ups they just brought up before Gargano, Champa, Ricochet, and uh, Black made their appearances on Raw and SmackDown this week. Heavy Machinery, EC3, Lacey Evans, and Nikki Cross, and Lars Sullivan. They haven't even done anything of value with these six individuals. 
Think about that. EC3. I don't. I think his last match was against Dean Ambrose with 50-50 booking. Lacey Evans just was just there to be there. Heavy Machinery did a runway walk on some bullshit. I think I've only seen Nikki Cross once since their call up to the main roster. And Lars Sullivan is at home because the boy had anxiety. So how disheartening! They should feel disheartened. All six of them should feel some type of way about the fact that those four guys who essentially are the top, some of the top, four of the six top tier guys in NXT right now. It's insane to me that those six individuals aren't feeling the way I feel about it. And that's why would you even bring these guys up knowing that I just became the new, a part of the new crop of NXT people, of NXT talent. It, it, it makes it look like they don't, they didn't really care about getting those six individuals up. And now I'm hearing, you know, in terms of Lacey Evans, I was reading that she's going to be part of the big three after Ronda Rousey is supposedly leaving after WrestleMania. And her, Charlotte, and Becky are going to be the big three going forward. It's insane to me how Raw just... just had to did all of this and Lafayette just said, go fuck yourself and just had their, and they were just sitting on their hands. I'm bringing it full circle. WWE should never go to that, to that town ever again. After the reaction they received from what they got on Monday night, it's an embarrassment. It should, they should, they, you know, the crowd should feel embarrassed. You know, if you're going to go to a WWE show, I get it. You know, you bring your kids, all that good stuff. You know, they will probably want to see certain wrestlers and all that. But if a certain town or crowd or area does not know who these guys are, don't bring them out. You had Atlanta. You have Atlanta in four days time. The Ric Flair 70th birthday celebration. Give that, give the same show to the to that Atlanta crowd, and they would be all over it and eating it up, eating it up. You know, you could have had just Finn Balor coming out, getting attacked. You know, and then and then them announcing, you know, Finn Balor. You're in a tag team match with Bobby uh, Lashley and Leo Rush. Yes, I know that would have it would have been like, oh, really again with this bullshit. But then you would have had Ricochet come out in Atlanta, full entrance, everything, a mystery partner. Finn Balor found Ricochet. You know they could have had an announcement that we're bringing up some NXT talent tonight. It's going to be a surprise to the crowd. 
You know, the Revival could have had mystery opponents. Who from NXT was going to be coming up? Who? And then you see Johnny Gargano come out. And then you see Champa come out right after that. You don't think Atlanta would have popped for that? Hmm? They would have eaten that thing, the whole thing up like a Sunday. Elias comes out. Lights go down. You know, doing his thing during his performance. Lights go down. Spotlight gets taken away from him. The beginning of Alistair Black's song begins. Atlanta goes, oh, shit for it. Crowd reaction does play a major part in shows, especially if the performers are giving everything they have to entertain the crowd. Right? It's one thing if, you know, if it's just an indie show and they're performing in front of 50 people and the crowd's not feeling it. That's different. But this is somewhere in the realm of anywhere between 15 and 20,000 people every Monday night. And that crowd, uh, I'm not sure how many there were. I would say somewhere in the realm of about 14 to 15,000 people, maybe, who knows. But for them not to even react to as much as Sasha Banks and Bailey being winning, becoming the inaugural WWE Women's Tag Team Championships, Women's Tag Team Champions, I should say. That's a problem. That's a very big problem. On the road to WrestleMania, you're gonna you're gonna start the road to fast lane off in Lafayette, Louisiana. When you know there's at least four big markets in Texas alone. Hell, you could have gone. I mean, if you were gonna be in Atlanta, you know. Your next, your next stop could have been a Dallas, a San Antonio, a Nashville, a Memphis, a Charlotte. A Raleigh. Hype up the, you know, if they were in, out in the Carolinas, you know, they definitely could have, you know, hyped up Ric Flair celebration for a 70th birthday. And the crowd would have easily popped for that. And it would have got pissed off that they were going to be in Atlanta for it. But going to a small town like Lafayette, Louisiana, after a pay-per-view did not help their cause. And WWE should start reconsidering going to small markets after a pay-per-view. They really should. I believe that um, Fastlane is March 17th. If I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong. It's either the 10th or the 17th, I know that. But seriously, WWE, reconsider your, your, you know, going to certain cities after pay-per-views. Because what I saw on Monday night did not help your cause. Performers make the shows, but the crowd truly makes the show. Especially for a person like myself who doesn't watch Raw that much anymore because of how shit the show is. 
and then sitting through two hours of it and looking on my Twitter while live tweeting and seeing my timeline blow up pretty much saying, what the fuck is up with this crowd? This crowd is dead. They don't deserve to be in Lafayette, Louisiana. Lafayette, Louisiana doesn't even deserve to be on a show. Doesn't deserve to have a show. Never go to Lafayette, Louisiana ever again. What are you doing? This crowd is gone. They don't. It looks as if they don't even care. That's what I saw on my Twitter timeline. WWE reconsider going to small markets after pay per views, especially in the case of bringing up NXT talent. Albeit for a short-term plan. This is episode 54 of the Young Lions Perspective. And with that being said, let us begin. What's going on, guys? Zach from the Wrestling Issues Podcast here, and welcome to episode 54 of the Young Lions Perspective. So glad to have you guys here with me on this day after we had a weird snowstorm uh, last night, a couple inches, and now it's like 50 degrees outside and the snow is melting. Uh, Mother Nature needs to get her panties out of a bunch and try to figure this out, because I know we're a few weeks away from spring, and she's it's pretty this is pretty much a cock tease. I'm getting nice weather today during the winter. After a weird random snowstorm, I had to work during the whole entire snowstorm last night. Um, it started around like, I'd say like 11-ish. And I got to work around early, around like 12-ish. And I, you know, it just kept coming down throughout the entire shift. Um, I actually went to the convenience store to grab a couple, uh, grab a couple things uh, during my lunch break. And it, I, it was, and it turned to like sleet. It was pretty, it was pretty gnarly. And then this morning I wake up and 90% of the snow that I see that was on the, I was supposed like 90% of the uh, snow is pretty much gone. Like I'm looking out my window right now and I'm just looking at, you know, a lot of green grass and wet ground. Yeah, it's just really awkward, but I thank you so much for taking time out of your day, your night, your afternoon, your evening, wherever you may be, wherever you are in the World, thank you so much for checking out this episode of the podcast. I greatly and truly appreciate it, as always. Elimination Chamber has come and gone. And I was very, very happy to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly. That was Elimination Chamber 2019. There was some good, but seriously, there was a lot of bad. And a good amount of ugly from what I wrote down in my notes for this. As always, we start off with the good. Kofi Kingston's performance in the Elimination Chamber was the stuff of fucking legend. 11 years this man has been in WWE trying to trying to become the top dog of a brand. It was very, when I first initially, when the, or should I say, let me try to backtrack. When the initial announcement came out that Mustafa Ali was not going to be in the Elimination Chamber, I had tweeted out that it kind of was um, a big time deal and an, an unfortunate happening to Ali because I know he was going to be getting a, a major push 
towards, you know, WrestleMania. Um, we do know that uh, my first initial thought when the new when it was announced that a member of the New Day was going to be part of the gauntlet match, which meant they would be in the elimination chamber replacing Ali this past Sunday, kind of threw me through a loop real quick because I was questioning a few things of just like why are they going to have a member of the New Day getting involved when you cut when you had and there was one guy who I felt deserved to be in that chamber and it's Andrade Cien Almas. I had put it out there in my tweet. I know one guy. I knew one guy that deserved to be in that chamber, and that was Almas. He deserved to be in that chamber. But after what I saw with Kofi Kingston in the gauntlet match last week, and then what I saw with his performance this past Sunday, to be honest, I truthfully wasn't mad at all. He shut me up. He took away any doubt I had. I mean, granted, everything that Kingston was doing was the same thing that uh, Mustafa Ali would have been doing anyway. You know, the hour-long, you know, being in the uh, gauntlet match for an hour, having that performance that he had at the Elimination Chamber. But now, but you know, when you really, you know, both men had a solid story going into the chamber. You know, Mustafa Ali being the young underdog, you know, trying to make a name for himself on SmackDown Live. And then you have Kofi Kingston, who pretty much had the story the storyline of being in WWE for eleven years. And fighting for the chance to become the WWE champion. Was just was just crazy. You know, I love that storyline. They and, and they made it believable to the point where they were at least two or three times during that last bit of the match between himself, between him and Daniel Bryan, where I where I felt, man, Kofi's about to win the championship. They're about to give Kofi the title. And that per, and that's the kind of performance you want out of a competitor. Make it like I mean, I had Daniel Bryan winning this match. It was just a, the right call to make. He had just won the championship a couple months ago. It was only right for him to go into WrestleMania as champion. But Kofi Kingston, for one night at least, made me believe that he was about to become WWE champion. They made that so believable and perfect that I was not mad at the fact that Kofi Kingston was in that match. He was he was the true he is my MVP for the night. He was my MVP across the board without question. I'm I usually give my MVP or try to give my MVP for every pay-per-view and Kofi Kingston and I'm saying it flat out early on in the show. Kofi Kingston was the outright MVP of Elimination Chamber. They, him and Daniel Bryan put on a spectacular last chapter of that match. You know, the splash off the top of the pod. You know, Kofi Kingston fighting out of what was like three or four running knees. You know, him fighting through all that, the bell lock being locked in and him being able to get to the ropes, even though I thought that was kind of weird to do it. Rope breaks during elimination, elimination chamber matches. 
but he absolutely just blew me away. And I was so proud to have watched that live. It was such an amazing ride between himself and him and Brian in that last bit that I wouldn't have been mad if, if they gave Kingston the championship. After, you know, Brian walked out of the chamber, the New Day members, Xavier Woods and Biggie came out. You know, he closed the show. The open, he was the last part of the, of the credits for the show. And that was a great moment to, to see right there. It was a very, it was a solid ending to that pay-per-view. And I loved every bit of it. Kofi Kingston, well done, dude. Uh, can't wait to see what you're going to do for fast lane against Brian for the championship. It's going to be, I think it's gonna be a wild match. Uh, especially after, you know, his performance. And I know a lot of people now are doing hashtag Kofi mania on, um, on social media. I, I've read reports about, you know, what Kingston was going to be doing in terms of, you know, the WWE championship. I'm not going to spoil it. If you haven't read it. Uh, go check out. Uh, I would say Ringside News, Wrestling Inc., all those, and they and and they have and look for you know what the what the plans are for Kofi Kingston going into WrestleMania. I will say this though, you're not gonna like what you see. But hashtag Kofi Mania right now is running hella wild all over the place, and I know at Fastlane during that WWE Championship match, the entire crowd is going to be pro Kofi, and I could not be more happier for that. It's going to be interesting to see what they do with how they have Kofi Kingston going forward. Um, the six-man tag on SmackDown Live was, I guess, unnecessary. I mean, it wasn't unnecessary. Uh, initially, I was thinking, why? You know, you you finished that chapter, move on. But that six-man tag helped, was actually, a, you know, furthered the feud between Kingston and Bryan, given the fact that Kingston did pin Bryan in that six-man tag. And now it was then it was announced by Shane McMahon that he would be getting the shot against Daniel Bryan for the WWE Championship at Fastlane. So it wasn't all for naught. Despite my pick of Mandy Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville, who I thought were going to win the Women's Tag Team Championships, go on to WrestleMania and face who the act who the inaugural Tag Team Champions now are. I thought it would have brought a nice little storyline into it. You know, Sasha Banks and Bailey being the baby faces chasing the heels. You know, now we know that Mandy Rose pinned Asuka and I'm not feeling that 100% at all. Sasha Banks and Bailey winning the Women's Tag Team Championships, becoming the inaugural Women's Tag Team Champions. Um, congratulations to both of them. Uh, I picked wrong. I really did. I thought I really did think Sasha and Bailey would be on the chase for the titles. They would beat Rose and Deville. You could have had a, a solid WrestleMania moment in New Jersey, and that would have been absolutely fantastic. It would have made sense to do it, but now I'm hearing the reports that you know the Bellas or maybe the team of Trish and Lita may be facing them at WrestleMania for the Women's Tag Team Championships. And that's okay, I guess. I would prefer Trish and Lita over the Bellas because I really could give a fuck less about them. Go do your show. Go um, hook your sister. You know, go hook, uh, you know, Nikki up with Peter from The Bachelor or whatever the fuck you want to do with that. Go do that. Go take your selfies and 
do whatever. But them winning actually works. I mean, given the 2018 that they had, which was honestly a very shit year for them, when it was looked at to be a Sasha Banks-Bailey feud, on again, off again, looked like it was back on, and now they're at this point, when it started in the fall, that women's tag team titles were in the works. And then Vince McMahon, on the Christmas edition of a Christmas Eve edition of Raw, pretty much made the announcement without making the announcement that there were going to be women's tag team titles as McManticlaws or whatever the fuck that was. And now they are the title holders. And I am not even mad at it. Mm-hmm. Sasha Banks and Bailey, I think, are one of the could be a top tag team in the division. I would not be surprised if Nia Jax and Tamina are their next uh, opponents for the tag titles at Fastlane. Um, I actually hope the match is actually better than I hope I think it will be because no one's feeling Nia Jax and Tamina. No one. And if you are, God bless you. Bless your heart, bro. Bless your fucking heart. But it really is, is, is nice to see, you know, them finally getting some love and finally being the top team after what they had to endure through last year. What happens with the tag team titles now remains to be seen. Are they actually going to treat the women's tag team championships with some sort of legitimacy and, and put some prestige on it and put some respect on its name? Or are they just, are they just going to do some weird shit and just give them a short title reign and then pass it off to whoever? In terms of that, with them winning the title... The women's tag team elimination chamber was a bit better than I ex- actually expected. I was expecting a huge clusterfuck, especially when all teams finally got into the ring. I was expecting a huge, you know, botch fest, people missing spots, or somebody, you know, just fucking up something huge. But they actually executed this match a lot better than I thought. And I have to, and I really, and I'm, I'm, I'm clapping here. I'm giving y'all kudos. Kudos to the ladies for putting on a solid match that opened the show very well. And I was, I was very happy with the result. Um, I, you know, every, I mean, naming on Carmella, I knew they were going to go out first. I called that, uh, especially with Naomi dealing with the whole, uh, you know, DUI thing in Detroit. I believe it was Detroit. And Carmella having to deal with her whole Corey Graves shit. And then it was found out that Corey Graves and his wife were already separated and living in different places. And that he was dating Carmella. And that's actually in the bylaws of, uh, you know, relationships and all that. It's perfectly A-OK. So all was good. Homegirl was just venting frustrations and all that shit. That's that's a whole different topic I won't get into. I'm not going to get into that. If you want to check that out, go check out, you know... All the other podcasts, the Solid Monsters, the the Joe Cronins, the JD from NY206 is the you know the Busted Open Radio, Kings of the Ring podcast, all, all those. I'm not gonna talk about that because that's that, that had come and went. Um, I didn't really want to speak on it anyway because the fuck was that? So, I'm sorry, just some random ass bird just started calling like a motherfucker. I'm just like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. Like a dead bird dying. I'm sorry about that, guys. I'm gonna have to leave that in there, unfortunately. Just a sip of coffee. That that was kind of fucking weird. 
uh, French vanilla, everything. Beautiful thing, guys. But getting back into the match, it looked as if everyone did have a moment in that match. Um, you know, the Iconics, the Iconics pin, pin combination, by the way, that to get, uh, to eliminate Naomi and Carmella, I just want to say first out, that was fantastic. Um, I believe, I'm trying to think, was it Monday? Yeah, it happened on Monday. The Revival did that same pinning combination. The German suplex, uh, bridge pin, and then Peyton Royce coming over the top, holding down her legs. That was fucking nice. That was clever. A nice spot. I was very appreciative of that. That pin combination was so fucking amazing. So kudos to Bailey, uh, Bailey, my fucking God, Billy Kay and Peyton Royce for actually doing that. Whoever thought of that while they were talking about the match itself, kudos to y'all for thinking of that. Cause that was very, very original and very, very clever. Fantastic on that. Um, Nia Jax going through a pod. That was a lovely spot there. Um, there was a couple times. Yeah. The, um, I believe Sasha Banks was going for a bulldog there. And and Mandy threw her into the pod. That was a nice spot. Um, Nia Jax and Tamina with the pendulum shots on Billy Kay and Peyton Royce, just throwing, just taking them by the hair and throwing them into the cage. I thought that was a really cool spot. Of course, showing off their dominance and their strength amongst the women's division. Sonya Deville wearing pants. I don't know why I just thought about that, but I would say we ain't gonna go there. Damn it. Okay, y- y'all get it. Y- if you saw, you saw. Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> but say, uh, I think Sonya and uh, Sonya Deville and Mandy Rose had a very good performance. The first two in to start the match were the last two to start, and I felt that made sense. Um, it just it just made perfectly good sense to have those two, and it shows that you know they did believe they had a lot of faith in Sasha and Bailey and in Mandy and Sonya as tag teams. I think those two tag teams are going to be your cornerstones. Everybody, uh, Sasha and Bailey get more name recognition, but I think Mandy and Sonya, if they start building towards that, and instead of having Mandy fucking Rose taking on Asuka for the SmackDown Women's Championship at Fastlane, it's coming. You know it's coming. And you could have had Nikki Cross in that position. You could have. You could have, and you should have. I'm telling you, if if you want to build this women's division, keep your feuds, keep your women's championship feuds separate, and keep your title feuds separate. If you're going to make this an actual division, why not have women's tag team matches on SmackDown? That's a first mistake. Big mistake. And that's I'm surprised I didn't think of that when I was doing the bad for this. Just, just to go off on a little side note. If you're going to build your division with contenders, you should have started it the Tuesday after. If you're going to make this a legitimate division, you could have had... Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville take on the Iconics. Boom. Tag match right there. Established the division. On the Raw side, you could have had, you know, Anaya Jax and Tamina taking on the Riot Squad. You know, that's something I've never seen before. And if they have a solid match out of it, you could have had a Sarah Logan, uh, Nia Jax match or something like that. Build your division. Build your fucking division. And on top of that, you could have had, you know, if you, and if you like, let's say, let, let's do like a, like, um, if, if anyone's a fan of boxing, they did, uh, back about, I would say five or six years ago, maybe even further than that. They did a super six, um, trying to forget the name, trying to remember the name, you know, it was like the super six world series classic 
or something to that effect. What I believe was six of the top super middleweights in the world. All cha- and, and championships were involved. And the winner of that became, you know, won the Super Six World Series Classic and won pretty much became the undisputed super middleweight champion. That was the main thing. That was the main goal of the Super Six World Series is to have the top six guys in the middle super middleweight division face each other to determine who was the best super middleweight in the world. And actually, it was a fucking awesome thing. Uh, I think it was Calzaghe. I think Darrell was involved with it. I think Eddie Lacy, when Eddie Lacy was hot, was in there. I forget the other ones. But it was a really, really good concept. If you're going to make tag women's tag team division relevant across both shows, and you're going to have, and Sasha Banks and Bailey did say it in their promo on Monday, we're gonna we want to face the best of the best from Raw, SmackDown, and even NXT, and I'm glad they brought that up because I know two tag teams, and I've been saying it for the past couple of weeks now, that would be perfect to face Sasha Banks and Bailey going forward. That would be Team Fly Kicks being Tegan Knox and Dakota Kai, and then you would have the Sky Pirates, the team of Io Shirai and Kyrie Sane, because you know, like I know, that Sane and Shirai versus Bailey and Banks would be fucking lit and you know it and that's a good wrestlemania match to have why not have a tournament to determine the number one contender starting that night you know i'm sure uh, i don't know if the nxt tapings would work but at least establish the raw and smackdown sides and then start being and then during tapings of nxt start building up the tag team division for the ladies that would get and, and that it, it, it exponentially helps the women on NXT because then you can get names like Aaliyah and Vanessa Bourne, Mia Yim, Bianca Belair, you know, Sane and Shirai. All of that. You know, it's it's just a lot of that. So if you really think about it, um, they did very well. This old women's uh, elimination chamber did very well. It did what they were supposed to do. It hit its numbers. It was fantastic. But I need to get to the other points before the segment ends up. Finn Balor is now the Intercontinental Champion, and I could not be any happier. I am happy. No, 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 no. Balor. There we go. Balor winning the Intercontinental Championship, finally getting his just due. If he wasn't going to get the Universal title, at least put a mid-card title on this man. It's fantastic. I'm, I'm very happy for him. I'm very, very happy that Finn Balor is now holding a title once again. It looks good on him. It looks really good on him. He makes that belt look fantastic. And I hope going forward that he can have some solid feuds with guys like Elias, a Bobby Roode. Um, if they want to do Jinder Mahal, that would just be kind of a weird flex, but it works. You could have Drew McIntyre. Just saying. Just saying. You know, you got to, now that you have a babyface Intercontinental Champion, you got to have a good amount of heels to challenge for that championship. And a few baby faces along the way. You know, why not have a, a, a Chad Gable? Why not have a... Damn, I can't even think of anyone else on Raw because... Uh, oh, okay, and Apollo Crews. Why not? But Finn Balor winning the title makes me happy. It's the It was the right call to do, even though I had Leo Rush and Bobby Lashley uh, retaining the belt in the handicap match. 
I, I actually have so that way we can keep furthering this going until WrestleMania and then where Balor could win the title there and giving us another WrestleMania moment. So, yeah, that was just a quick little thing. I'm just very happy for Finn Balor. Congratulations to Finn Balor for winning the Intercontinental title. I hope they do right by you and do right by the title now going forward. Because Bobby Lashley holding that championship made no fucking sense. You don't give a Charisma Vacuum a championship. It didn't make any sense. Now, knowing that Dean Ambrose was leaving the company, you know, I guess that works out, but it's still didn't make any sense to have Bobby Lashley win that championship and hold that belt for as long as he did. Once again, the Cruiserweight division shows why they deserve to be on the main cards of WWE pay-per-views. They killed it again. They absolutely killed it again. They did. It was such, they did such a good job on Sunday. Murphy and Tozawa, Killed it. The crowd in Houston loved it. They popped for it. They both put on a great display. And that only showed Buddy Murphy's dominance over the Cruiserweight division. But Tozaba looked great in defeat also. And that was what I love about... And that's, and that's what you need. You have a strong contender fighting for the championship. But even though he lost, he looked good in defeat. He looked great in defeat. I was very pleased with that match. And once again, looking at the rest of the card, they should have been on the main card. They really should have been on the main fucking card. You did it at the Royal Rumble. If I'm not mistaken, they did do it at the Royal Rumble. I believe they started off with the Fatal 4-Way match. And the crowd went um, apeshit for it in Phoenix. They went crazy for it in Phoenix. They fucking loved it. They absolutely ate it up with a big-ass spoon, y'all. I was thoroughly impressed. Now, and when you look back at the matches, like The Miz and uh, Shane taking on The Usos... You know, Braun Strowman and Baron Corbin should have never been on the main card. That did not need main card attention at all. You could have put that on the pre-show and just left it alone. Just let them go do their thing. Let the crowd go crazy for uh, Braun or whatever. And you put the Cruiserweight title on the main fucking show. Right after... The Miz and Shane McMahon versus the Usos so they don't get caught up in the dead spot. This isn't rocket science. You brought you brought in the Cruiserweights for a reason. Start acting like it. They kill it almost every time you put them on a card. Going back to Mustafa Ali, Buddy Murphy at Survivor Series. They fucking killed that pay-per-view. Without fail. They killed it. Royal Rumble. Killed it. Elimination Chamber. Killed it. Put him on the main card. Put him on the main fucking card. Start showing the world what the Cruiserweights can do. Yes, they have their own 205 Live. They have their own brand. But putting them on main card shows of Raw and SmackDown Live gets fans more interested in the division and the show. 
Good thing about that, right? You're watching SmackDown Live. You know, you got your uh, AJ Styles main event against... I'm just, I'm just trying, to, trying to think of something. Like Andrade Cien Almas or some shit like that, right? You know. And, he, and Randy Orton comes out, RKO's and blah, 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 all that stuff. Almas wins and all that. Why not during that show, hype up the Cruiserweight division? Have a singles, you know, have a nice little uh, singles match between... Um, Trying to think of two top guys right now. Like a Jack Gallagher against the Drew Gulak. And actually, no, they're because they're on the same side. Like a Drew Gulak versus an Arya Davari. Or something like that. Just a, just 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 two guys in the division and have them be have a great match. Or do like a triple threat uh showcase for the division, you know. Cedric Alexander, Drew Gulak, and you know, Tony Nese, or something along those lines. Pick three guys, start putting them on the shows. They don't have to be, you know, if even if they start the show, you're getting exposure to the division. You're giving exposure to the cruiserweights, cruiserweight division, and you're giving fans an inside look in what's going on with 205 Live. You could even have Vic, uh, Vic Joseph, Aiden English, and I, I'm trying to think of the third guy. Is. is it Nigel? Yeah, you could have had him in there. You know, they could have done, they could have called that match because they're part of the 205 Live commentary team. Make it feel special. Because me, I already know about the Cruiserweights. But if I was a, a person checking out them for the first time or not, or because I don't see them as often, I don't watch 205 Live because they had to fucking put it back right after SmackDown instead of keeping it on Wednesday, instead of taping it and keeping it on Wednesday nights. Just saying. You know, I would, and if they had a really good match, I'm thinking, yo, what's up with these Cruiserweight guys? Oh, this 205 Live episode, I can actually check them out at such and such time on such and such night. I might check that out. Oh, it's on the WWE Network? Oh, I got that. I already watched, you know, all the old pay-per-views anyway. Why not? I'm, hey, why not check that out? Hey, I, got, I mean, I got the day off. Let me, check, let me check this 205 Live out and see what they're up to. See what they're doing. Surprisingly, that's what happened to me. I hadn't watched 205 Live in months. I think it was like last year. Yeah, early, like late 2017 going into uh, 2018. Excuse me. During the whole Enzo Amore bullshit, you know, when uh, when they had the whole uh, fiasco with Enzo Amore, I'm not going to go into it. If you want to, if you don't know about it, Google it. And they had... And Angel Mori had to drop the title, and then they had the Cruiserweight Championship Tournament. I didn't watch any episode of the tournament, and I still kick myself in the ass for that. I caught on maybe to like the last two episodes of the tournament, and then watched... Sorry about the interruption. If you heard something weird go down or anything like that, that was my mom calling me about some stupid shit. I'm kidding. It wasn't stupid. It was very... uh. You know how that is. Sometimes things happen in the middle of recording. So if you do hear something in the middle of recording, I'm sorry about that. I, I do deeply apologize. But finishing up my uh, thought on the Cruiserweights, I'm just going to finish off with this. Start acting like you know what's up with the Cruiserweights, WWE. They're a vital part of your brand. Treat them as such. And the way I, the, and what I stated... What I actually stated 
everything I broke down, seriously, they should start considering that because it'll give hype to not only the WWE with the Cruiserweights, but 205 Live as well. You win twofold, big time. So again, I'm sorry about the interruption. If you did hear something, um, I'm truly, truly sorry about that. Like I said, I got a call from my mom, so hopefully it doesn't affect the recording at all. And if it does, do let me know in uh, on my social media because I want to make sure this is, this is actually proper. So once again, I greatly apologize for that. But we're going to take a quick break. Uh, we're going to hear from our sponsors, and then we're going to get into the bad and the ugly that was Elimination Chamber. We'll be right back. Now we get into the fun part of the program, which are the bad and ugly. Let's start with the bad. Lacey Evans bootleg runway show. What in the absolute fuck was that? As I stated in the opening segment of the show, it is was it was reported that Charlotte Becky and Lacey Evans were going to be the big three, so-called big three, of the women's division going forward. If that's honestly the case, this isn't the way to do it. And she's been literally doing this, I think, the past couple of weeks now. And it is just... Uh, absolutely atrocious the way they're making Lacey Evans look. They still haven't figured out what brand she's going to be on. I do have a feeling that they may put her on SmackDown and have her face Asuka for the SmackDown Women's Championship. I think that's the eventual move that they're going to make. It just looks like it. I mean, they really don't have anything for Asuka at WrestleMania. There was a moment on Twitter where Natalia twit, uh, tweeted out, you know, all these women are going over to Raw and challenging for their women's championship. Why not make the crossover? And had a picture of Asuka with the belt. And it looked as if maybe Asuka and Natalia was going to be the, the match that Asuka was going to have for WrestleMania. And I wouldn't have liked that at all. But just going with that, but whatever they had for Lacey Evans was an absolute joke. Excuse me. And they had her look like an absolute joke. It came off terribly. It looked terrible. The crowd wasn't even into it. It just came off horribly flat. It, that, they, they just pie all over their face for that. That shouldn't even have been part of the show. Chill out, Marley. You good? Okay. That's my dog bag. Literally right behind me, sitting right behind me on the couch. The Usos winning the SmackDown Live Tag Team Championship after Jimmy Uso's involvement in the incident in Detroit on Valentine's Day. I understand, you know, the Usos winning the championship, getting the getting that the titles off of Shane and the Miz. 
you know, that was part of the storyline regardless. But I still have that mindset where if you do something wrong, especially just a few days before your a championship match that you're involved with on a pay-per-view, not only should you should your team lose the match, but you should be the one taking the pin as punishment for what you did. I did see a good amount of people on on Twitter talking about this and stating their and their grievances with that. That's not to say it wasn't going to be an eventual thing that the Usos were going to take the titles from The Miz and Shane McMahon. Hell, if anything, you could have had Jimmy take the pin anyway and have his leg underneath the rope, on the bottom rope. And you could have went from there with that. You really could have. And it would have made sense to do it. Because then it furthers the feud. It adds another layer to the cake of the feud. And then you could have the Usos take the titles from Shane and Miz, where Shane screws over Miz and helps the Usos win the tag titles and cost them the championships. You could have done it that way if you wanted to further this feud as punishment. But, you know, the Usos winning the championships after what had happened, I don't believe in that. I don't believe that's a good move. Get arrested, still win a championship. That's pretty much what you're saying to your fans. You know, they, in in a sense, they rewarded bad behavior. He wanted to square up with the cops before the threat of being tased came about. And that doesn't sit well with me. It really doesn't. When you get punished, you have to deal with the pun- the consequences. That's truthful. That, that's just true honesty. You got arrested for such and such, you know, DUI in a certain city and you got pulled over. You know, because you were driving on the wrong side of the road and the cops smelled alcohol. I mean, I mean, it, it deserves a punishment. You know, that was just me closing my window. That deserves punishment. And I, I, I it doesn't sit well with me. I understand that the Usos and, the, and Shane McMiz, you know, and Shane and the Miz are going to be facing each other again for the tag titles. At Fastlane. But I honestly don't even care. About it. Because I already now know what. The the ending of that particular. Feud is. Stop. My dog's seeing the maintenance guy right now. She's being silly. Get out. Nope. Get out. Get out. No, thank you. Ugh. 
Yeah, you're going to stay over there, Marley. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of craziness in this episode, I swear. But at the end, I, I, really, I really just didn't feel that, you know, or honestly, I didn't even think that they should have had the titles then. They could have done that on, on SmackDown. You know, if they were going to do that, you know, they got their rematch, foot was under the ropes, all that stuff. But that particular night, Jimmy deserved to get take the pin for that match as punishment for what happened to the situation that he was involved in. A handicap match for the Intercontinental Championship is not the best of ideas. It was stupid. It was a dumb concept. You could have, like, I had Lashley and Rush winning due to the fact that, you know, you could have had Rush, you know, Lashley take the coup de gras. He's about to go for the pin. Rush interrupts it, hits him, you know, with a big move. Goes up top, hits the frog splash, drapes Lashley over Balor. One, two, three, boom. We could have been, been moving on the fast lane. There you go. But then I thought a clean win, and, and, and a, yeah, it would have been a clean win and would have taken Balor out. So I was like, uh. But still, a handicap match, why? Why? What was the point? It made no fucking sense whatsoever. It's one on one. Just ban rush from the uh from the match. That's all you had to do. Could have had a decent match out of the two. Balor still could have won the Intercontinental Championship. Why they had a handicap match was fucking dumb. Fucking dumb. I hope they like seriously. I think what was the last handicap match they had for the WWE Championship? WWE Championship. I think it was Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens versus AJ Styles. And even then. I wasn't even feeling it because it didn't need to happen. You didn't need to have that. I don't like handy. I like handicap matches. If it serves a purpose when it's for a championship, it doesn't make sense to me. So if Leo rush had pinned Finn Balor, does he win the intercontinental championship? Is that how that works? Or is it just Bobby Lashley retains? It just didn't. It just didn't make any sense to me. It was so confusing. I was just really, really. I was really not feeling it. Now that we have Finn Balor as Intercontinental Champion, and this is another bad for me personally because I don't know who they're gonna have as contender after if, if they decide to continue with Lashley, especially after this. Uh, behind the. Coming from behind, actually coming from behind and attacking Finn. Say once we get past Lashley, right? Who's the, who would be the next challenger for the Intercontinental Championship? This is why it's bad. Who have they built up in terms of challengers for a mid card title? Take all the time you need. You could say Elias, but all they've been doing with him is just song and dance shit. And after that whole deal with Jeff Jarrett, that was a fucking joke. That was a fucking joke. And then he gets beat by Aleister Black. So honestly, at this very moment, wouldn't even consider him for title consideration. Bobby Roode could have been Intercontinental Champion right now. 
he needs he I've been saying we've been I think a lot of people a good amount of people have been saying for a while now Bobby Roode and Chad Gable need to break up. Glorious and victorious or whatever the fuck they call themselves never needed to even happen. It was just it could have just been a one-off thing. They could have lost a big Raw Tag Team Championship match. Rude turns on Gable. They could have had a match or could have had a little mini feud. Rude wins the feud, moves on to the Intercontinental Championship. Boom. Intercontinental Champion. How big of a rub? Now, I know there were reports saying back in November that Elias was supposed to be the one to take the Intercontinental Championship off of Seth Rollins and have Dean Ambrose turn heel in the process at the same time. I personally would have felt now, now that I'm thinking about it, and yes, I can change my mind, so whatever, that Bobby Roode should have been Intercontinental Champion already. Think about that. Bobby Roode beat Seth Rollins for the Intercontinental Championship. And then he could have had Rude versus Elias going into Royal Rumble. That would have been a really good match, I think. Two different styles, two different whole gimmicks. Could have kept Rude as a babyface for a little while. And then he could start getting air again. He retained the championship at Royal Rumble. Run the run the road to WrestleMania. He starts becoming that prick that we loved in NXT, the Manhattan socialite prick douchebag. And they could have had him right off into WrestleMania, defending the championship, of course, against other challengers, maybe an Apollo Crews along the way. Maybe Seth Rollins, you know, I would say Seth Rollins tried to get a rematch, you know, since there's no rematch clauses, you know, have him, you know, earn his way back to get a shot at the title, fast lane, all that. But at this point, at this point now, I'm just fantasy booking because my, my WrestleMania card is a million times better than what they're trying to come up with. I may do an episode on what I think WrestleMania 35 should be. That may be in that, that is in the works. I will tell you that right now. Spoiler alert, that's in the works. When that happens, don't know. You just have to wait and find out. But getting back into the bad, just you go, you could add Bobby Roode, become heel, become that heel guy. Especially after the whole Gable deal, he is now full blown heel. Takes the title from Rollins, who's a babyface. Rides that into the Royal Rumble, defeats Elias, and he rides off into WrestleMania. Who's the challenger they could have had? Finn Balor. Excuse me. Finn Balor versus Bobby Roode at WrestleMania 35 for the Intercontinental Championship would have been amazing. Especially the entrances for both men. You could have had it, especially if you're going to do it at MetLife. Have it later on in the evening, you know, towards the end of the card. The last, like, I'd say, if they're going to have, like, because usually they have, like, 14, 15 matches on the card, which is absolutely overblown. Keep it, at worst, you keep it to, like, nine. At worst, you keep it to nine. Every title on the line plus three huge matches, whatever, or however many titles they have. But you put on the Intercontinental Championship later on in the show so you can get that demon entrance at WrestleMania. Crowd pops for that. A very good match between Rude and, uh, and Finn Balor. Culminating in the coup de grace. And Finn Balor finally winning the Intercontinental Championship for the first time. And Finn Balor has his WrestleMania moment. Wow. What a concept. And I only wrote that in my head in less than four or five minutes. I just wrote that off the top of my head. Straight up. 
and yet they can't and yet I and yet WWE doesn't know how to book fucking raw. It's 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 fucking ridiculous. WWE treated Ruby Riot as if she were on the level of Dana Brooke and Alicia Fox. I understand that Riot and Rousey had a better match on Monday Night Raw, but what you did with Ruby Riot in less than three minutes against Ronda Rousey, and here's a good though, she did that she did rock the Sonya Blade outfit because she's I believe she's part of appearance uh, making an appearance on um, Mortal Kombat 11, which is dope. Like the outfit, look good on her. But seriously, Ruby Riot got treated, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna have this in my notes. I'm gonna say it again: WWE treated Ruby Riot as if she were on the level of Dana Brooke and Alicia Fox, lower tier level, nowhere near a contender, jobbing out to Ronda Rousey. We all knew this was gonna happen. Ruby Riot was looked at as nothing more in the eyes of the WWE as a stepping stone to get us one step closer to WrestleMania and now the eventual triple threat match between Becky, Charlotte, and Ronda. It boggles my mind how they use talent. Honestly, now that and, and this is gonna this is gonna be a very unpopular opinion. But I'm kind of cool with the fact that Ronda Rousey's leaving. If that's the case after WrestleMania, because I know she wants to start a family. I have no I have no hate against that whatsoever. If you want to build a family, by all means, build your family. You know, you want to have a family with Travis Brown, your husband, by all means do so. But I'm kind of cool with the fact that she is stepping away from the women's division for a while. Because if you honestly think about it, Ronda Rousey's champion merely handcuffed the entire women's division. This may be an unpopular opinion. You may may be mad at it. You may not want to listen to the show ever again. But I really have that feeling. Think about, I mean, she had a match with Bailey that was good. Ronda had a, a a very solid match with Sasha where she got outclassed. I can I will honestly honestly say that to the high heavens. She got outclassed that night. But everything else leading you know getting to this point since she's won the Raw Women's Championship is merely handcuffed the entire division. Names like Sasha, Bailey, Amber, Ruby. We're getting put on the back burner for names like Natty, Naya, Alexa, Tamina, Alicia Fox, Liv Morgan. Sorry, I'm not sure about that. Of course I had to say her name, and then my tablet goes off every fucking time I do I do that. But now that Ronda Rousey is going away from after WrestleMania, I think this finally opens up the women's division. And then we don't, and hopefully we won't have to deal with shit like this, where Ruby Riot, uh, one of my favorite talents that came up from NXT and hitting the main roster, I thought she was gonna have a huge role going forward, especially with her and, and uh, Ember. They could have had a solid feud. They could have put on solid matches with. She could have put on solid matches with Banks and Bailey and Natty. That feud was shit, by the way. Um, but 
it really it really sucks for Riot right now. I know, I understand in the grand scheme of things, we're getting the triple threat match, but you really made Ruby Riot look so damn weak that she looked like she was literally on jobber status because that's what happened to her on Sunday. She was relegated to jobber status. That's quite fucking sad. I hope that when Rousey steps away from the WWE, that they start treating the Raw women's division properly. Now, knowing that you have the women's tag team championships, you have to start treating the women a lot better than you have been because 2018 was a very bad year for the women's division across the board. Except Becky Lynch, she killed it. But when the only main highlight you have of the women's division is Becky and Charlotte, and then Asuka winning the title, that's a pretty bad year. It's a very, very bad year for the women's division. And I hope in 2019, you know, after, you know, because we all know Rousey's going to lose the title anyway, that they actually start treating the women's division as if they actually give a shit. This may be another unpopular opinion, but Becky Lynch getting involved in attacking Charlotte and Ronda Rousey Rousey with the crutch after Rousey retained the title, I don't think that was honestly a good look. It's starting not to be a good look for her because now they're going on the lines of Stone Cold Steve Austin. And I love me some Stone Cold Steve Austin, one of my favorite wrestlers of all time, hands down. But if that's the way they're going, I don't think it's going to work the way they want it to. We already know Becky's already over. You don't need her to be like a Stone Cold. Let her be Becky. She already had her attitude. She already had that. You don't need it to be on a Stone Cold level. Because if you try to do it on a a certain level or try to do it like you did it before, sometimes it doesn't hit the way you wanted to. She's suspended per storyline. Let, I mean, yeah, I I don't like the fact that Charlotte's getting involved in the whole Becky Ronda thing, but let Rousey and Charlotte have their moment with that. If it gets to the point where it's about to be physical between the two, then you get the referees and and, uh, the security on all that. Little pull apart brawl action. I don't know. But the more and more I see Becky show up while she's suspended, gives me those Roman Reigns vibes a little bit when he was supposedly suspended. And he was coming out and he was attacking people. I don't want it to get to that point. I don't, I mean, let her go away for a while. Hell, if they just waited until, excuse me. You know, the Ric Flair 70th birthday celebration, it would have made sense to attack Charlotte at that time. Catch him at a, at a vulnerable moment. Why not? But now it's starting to it's starting to feel like stone. It's starting to feel I, I'm not, I mean, yeah, it's stone cold vibes, but it's something that I don't need. I mean, if you're going to have her be suspended, let her be suspended. Absence. And I spoke with this one of my guys at my job. Absence makes the heart grow fonder, does it not? 
Does it not? You have Becky go away for a while, a few weeks. Have her pop up at the celebration for Ric Flair on his 70th birthday and have her attack Charlotte. That would have been the first time since she got suspended that she came out. That would have been a lot better than what they've been doing. Showing up on Raw, showing up on SmackDown Live. She's suspended for a reason. Let her go away for a while. Let her, you know, let the doctors, and I'm doing this in air quotes, let the doctors check out her knee. You know, let her get healed up. Her storyline. This is not rocket science, people. This is wrestling. How are we as fans booking the shows better than they are? What I'm giving you is 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 very, very smart booking here, in my in my honest opinion. What I'm giving you is solid gold here. The Bobby Roode Finn Balor shit's fucking solid. If you really think about it, if you put it in timeline perspective, it makes sense. Letting Becky step away for a while and then coming out for that Ric Flair celebration would have been perfect justice. Crowd in Atlanta would have popped for it. It it would have been like, what, three weeks since we had seen Becky? Fans want to see Becky. Fans are behind Becky. Having her come out during Ric Flair's birthday celebration would have been crazy. And I wouldn't expect them not to have Becky show up this coming Monday. But now it seems forced. It's starting to feel forced to me. Like they're going to have Becky come out. If you had to go away for a little bit. And then had her come out. Yeah, crowd would have went insane in Atlanta for it. Insane. But now it's starting to feel Stone Cold-esque. And I'm not really feeling that. If they let it just marinate for a little bit. Let the suspension actually start taking hold. We would have cared more about Becky. We would have wanted her to come back more. The pop for Becky would have been exponentially better than if you see her just showing up at Elimination Chamber. Be suspended. Take the night off. Enjoy catering. Cool out. Tweet. As if you're from home. Even though you may be in the building. It's fine. Have her tweet out something. You're lucky I wasn't there tonight. If I wasn't suspended, both of you would have been taken out. Something along those lines. We know she's going to be at WrestleMania for the trip in a triple threat match for the title. Give me something to invest in. Give me something to work with here. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. And it should have treated it as such. And that is the bad. That was Elimination Chamber 2019. Let's finish up with the ugly that was Elimination Chamber 2019. I got two quick points, and then I'm going to go into the biggest point, the ugly. And I have this in my notes written as such. The Elimination Chamber pay-per-view was anchored by two solid chamber matches, and without them, this show would have been a complete bust. That's That's a very, very ugly point. I love the chamber matches. 
they were fantastic. I enjoyed them very solid across the board. The matches that were in between didn't really get get to that level. Um, the Finn Balor, you know, Bobby Lashley, Leo Rush uh, handicap match was eh. The Whip Robinson Championship was a fucking bust in and of itself. You had, you know, the Usos winning the tag team titles. Really did. I can't even remember the rest of the card, to be truthfully honest. That's how much I didn't care about the rest of the card besides the chamber matches. And, so, and I was listening to Solid Monster's review of Elimination Chamber. He, and he said the same thing I said. And I agree with it. He said, without those two matches, those should show what it, this show would have gone to shit. And it would have been a complete thumbs down show, as he put it. And I agree with that statement, and I'm saying it with you, with it with him. It would have been a complete bust had these two chamber matches not lived up to expectations. Solid complete bust. The the Braun Strowman Baron Corbett feud is the worst feud I have seen in years. There is no point to this feud. There is no championship with this feud. Nothing makes sense. It is fucking stupid. Baron Corbin has no value. Braun Strowman is a bust. He has no value now. Why the fuck did they have Drew McIntyre and Bobby Lashley involved in the match? Are they bringing back the the uh, the strongman three-man band? I don't fucking know when you have a TGI Friday's general manager, Drew McIntyre, who deserves a fucking shit ton more than what he's getting, and the charisma vacuum that is Bobby Lashley. That match was garbage. You could have replaced the Cruiserweight Championship match with the Nobody Q match, and I would have felt a lot better about this card, and a better and a better letter grade would have come out of it. And they are lucky those two chamber matches saved the show. Because without it, my letter grade would be very, very bad. I guarantee you. And I'll tell you that in a second. But why, why didn't we, did we even need Strowman versus Corbin in that card? That, that would have been relegated. And they had, their, they had a tables match on Raw the next night. And I didn't give a fuck about that either. Especially after the announcement that they made with the NXT guys. They went right into a tables match between Corbin and Strowman. Trash. Trash across the board. This feud needs to end now. End that feud. Let Baron Corbin go off into obscurity. Let Braun Strowman go do fuck all. Whatever the fuck he feels like. Because neither of these men are anywhere near the top. No one cared about it. No one fucking cared. My time was literally, why are we having this match? This shouldn't even be happening. This is so stupid. There's nothing behind There's There was nothing behind it. There was nothing behind this match. What does it mean now with Strowman having to do with Corbin McIntyre and Lashley again? What's the point? The only thing I like about this match was the double table spot, and that was it. It was so dumb. But the biggest gripe I have with this pay-per-view, Samoa Joe being the first man eliminated shows that they don't have any faith in him whatsoever. 
They don't. They really don't have any faith in Samoa Joe. If they did, they would have kept him in the match. He is killing promos out. He's blowing promos out of the water. The promo that he had with all the other his, his other opponents in the ring. Uh, Sands, Kofi Kingston was the stuff of fucking gold. He's been killing it every single time he's in the ring. And he's not getting the respect he deserves. I don't think he's won a championship ever since he made his main roster debut. Ever since he's joined SmackDown Live, he has not won a championship. He's come close when he faced AJ Styles in that brief feud. But that was about as close as he got. And that will probably be the closest he's going to get. I question when his contract is up. Because honestly, I think he should be leaving. I think he should I think he should ask for his request too. Everyone else is doing it. Why not have Samoa Joe ask for his request to leave? Obviously, they're not going to be doing anything in terms of WrestleMania, in my, in my opinion. I don't think they're going to do anything with him at WrestleMania. I think he's going to be in, in the Under the Giant Memorial Battle Royal. He's going to be relegated to that. He's going to be one of the first few taken out. And I hope his contract ends sometime after that. And he leaves. And he just doesn't resign. A talent like Samoa Joe, just because he's a big dude, he can do a lot in that ring. In NXT, he was a fucking god-tier, god-tier motherfucker. His feuds with Finn Balor. Some, and uh, Shinsuke Nakamura. It, 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 it fucking is beyond my train of thought. My, it's beyond me how they don't see what we've been seeing since Samoa Joe came up from NXT. He has name value. He can go in the ring. He can cut a promo. Sure, he's a bigger guy, but he can put. He's been putting in the work to get to this point, and they do, and they make him the first man eliminated from the chamber. If I'm Samoa Joe, I feel some type of way about that. To be brutally honest with you, and I doubt that Samoa Joe will ask for his release. I doubt he will. But I wouldn't be surprised if he did ask for his release. Given the way he's been treated in terms of booking. Samoa Joe has two had two legitimate chances to become a, the top guy of the brand. Great balls of fire. Actually, he made his debut on Raw. I'm sorry. Um, you know, great balls of fire against Brock Lesnar, and then AJ Styles. Both times he deserved to win the championship. Instead, they made him lose. I don't know what they're gonna do. I really think they're gonna put him in the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal at WrestleMania and make him look like a fool. And it sickens me to the fact that Samoa Joe is not being treated like a true top heel should. He is a top heel. Granted, Brian now is WWE champion, so now he's their top heel. But why not have... But, like, how dope would it be to have Samoa Joe versus Daniel Bryan for the WWE championship at WrestleMania? 
two indie darlings, two ROH originals. How crazy is that? Treated like gold in NXT. Former NXT champion. If I'm going to say, actually, two-time NXT champion. Upon his main roster debut, I thought he was going to be treated like, you know, um, at least a good upper mid-card guy. Instead, once again, he's being treated like an afterthought. And it's a really, it's a big shame that he has been treated like such. Because he doesn't deserve that. A guy with the talent of a Samoa Joe doesn't deserve this. At all. It's it's a tragedy. A travesty. And, you know. it, it, It just shows that WWE doesn't really, in terms of their main roster guys, when calling them up from NXT... They don't get it. They just don't get it. And I don't think Vince McMahon will ever get it. He just sees Samoa Joe and he thinks he's too big. He's too fat. You know? I've, and it's been reported that way. He's too fat. You know? He's not that big, swole dude that like a Bobby Lashley. You know? So having him as the first man eliminated from the Elimination Chamber... Is a blatant smack and should be a, treated as a blatant smack in the face of Samoa Joe, and that and that's how I feel about that. Now, in terms of my match of the night, I'm gonna give it to the men's elimination chamber match because of the performance of Kofi Kingston. He absolutely deserved it. He is my MVP for elimination chamber. He deserves the award completely. There was no other match that I think could have beaten that. My worst match of the night, obviously, will go to Baron Corbin and Braun Strowman. It was terrible. It should have been replaced by the Cruiserweight Championship. And you saw why. Excuse me. It was almost, I was almost going to go with Rousey and Riot. But given the fact that the, you know, Women's Championship was going to be on the card, I guess they were going to do it anyway. And they had Riot job out. But having... Corbin and Strowman on the card made no fucking sense. It was a raw match on a pay-per-view. Straight up. That was my worst match of the night. And is in the running for worst match of the year. If I ever decided to ever do a list of that. The letter grade. Let's do it two ways. If there was, if the chamber match, you take the chamber matches out, this was a complete failure. This is a, uh, it would have been a complete F show. Hands down, without question, an F show. Adding in the two chamber matches, I'm going to give this pay per view a C minus. I almost gave it, 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 at first glance, it would have been a failure, but I bumped the grade up. It's a C minus show. It was good enough just to, in, to, you know, for me to say it was a decent show. But teetered on failure territory were it not for those two chamber matches. They did, they, they hit their numbers and did their job. 
But seriously, now that we have Fastlane coming up, I expect I expect the same. I expect the same thought that I have from Elimination Chamber. I'm hoping that Fastlane does something worthwhile, but who knows at this point. And that was the good, the very, very bad, and the somewhat really ugly. That was Elimination Chamber 2019. guys that's gonna be it for episode 54 of the young lions perspective as always i want to thank you guys so much for taking time out of your day your night your afternoon your evening wherever you may be wherever you are in the world thank you so much for taking your time out of your day to check out this episode podcast i greatly and truly appreciate it as always if you did enjoy this episode and you want to check out this episode and any of the other 53 episodes of the podcast but you don't happen to have the anchor app no worries. You can check out this episode on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, CastBox, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Stitcher Radio, and of course that good old Spotify fam. Search for the Young Lions Perspective on any one of those nine platforms. That includes the Anchor app, of course, and you should have no problem finding it whatsoever. Of course, if you enjoy the podcast, do not hesitate to tell a friend, to tell a friend about the Young Lions Perspective. Share it on all of your social media, your Facebook, the Twitters, the Instagrams. Put it on your LinkedIn if you feel like it. And let the people know that the Young Lions Perspective is your alternative for professional wrestling podcast as we're on the road to WrestleMania and that we are here to stay. If you want to stay up to date with everything that's going on with the podcast itself, please follow me on. Twitter at Suede Senator WWI. I do live tweet during SmackDown Live, NXT, NXT UK, and every live WWE pay per view. Sometimes I will do some raw, depending like this past Monday, depending on a certain situation or anything that goes down in terms of something that I may be involved with. Involved with, I should or I should say something that I may be enjoying and that I want to be involved with in terms of talking about it on Twitter. If you want to follow me on Instagram, I am at young underscore lions underscore perspective. Follow me on both of those platforms to stay up to date with everything that's going on with the podcast. Now, I know I didn't watch NXT last week, and I very I apologize for that. I had some family things that I was taking care of over the weekend. I hadn't seen them in a while, so I wanted to take some time throughout the weekend and see some family, my grandmother, my sister, and her, her kids. So it was really nice to see that, but I didn't get a chance to talk about that, and I greatly apologize for that. But for Sunday... This coming Sunday, I'm gonna be. Re- I know I'm gonna doing. I'm gonna be doing some late night working uh, at my job, so I won't be able. To, I didn't catch NXT or NXT UK live, but I will be watching NXT and NXT UK over the next couple of days and getting myself prepared for episode 55 NXT and NXT UK review, and that of course is involving the big match between Johnny Gargano defending the North American Championship against the Velveteen Dream. I've been hearing good things about it on Twitter. There were no spoilers. I made sure if I there was a spoiler popping up, I covered my eyes and scrolled up and got past it. Um, I'm very excited to see that match. I want to see how it went down. And I will be discussing that this Sunday. So stay tuned to that. Guys, enjoy the rest of your day. I got to get ready for work. I literally have 40 minutes before I got to go to work. So I'm going to take care of that. Enjoy the rest of your day. We'll see you guys on Sunday for episode 55 of the Young Lions Perspective. Until next time, guys. See ya!